0: I would love to read all of the aspects of the Passover week because it's recorded for us in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and John, and each one of those four gentlemen have a different perspective, right? They had different angles, literally, <laughs> from what they wrote, but they also just had a different perspective. We can't read them all, but we're going to touch on a couple things. But before I read that, I want to read one passage that just kind of underscores why do we do this? In Psalm 111, Psalm 111 verse 2 is a really interesting verse and a very enlightening verse. Psalm one eleven two 2 says, The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. Did you catch that? The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. I study the works of the Lord because I have great pleasure in them now. I didn't before I was saved. They didn't mean much to me. Easter Sunday didn't mean much to me. If it was a nice day today, many people would be doing other things. But perhaps they're still not church, but they probably had other better plans than what maybe the rain washed out. But the works of the Lord studied by all, and that's why no matter how many years I've been saved now, since 1995, I continue to study, and I learn more about the resurrection, more about the cross, more about the work of God here at 44 years of age than I did way back at 25. Every year God can de- as the more I study the works, the more God reveals. And by the way, that would happen if I lived to be 100. I'll continue to learn, because God's depth has no End does it, and his works are to be remembered forever. But there's no greater work. Would you agree? There's no greater work than ever been done in the cross and the resurrection. I, I I don't find them even separable. I don't know about you. I find them inseparable, right? Just like they took place in a three-day span, what we would call like a weekend. That time period is an inseparable. You can't have the cross and not have the resurrection, you can't have the resurrection and not have the cross. If you get one without the other, you've got a big problem, don't you? Must have them both. They're inseparable. They're two sides to the same coin. They're like Old Testament, New Testament. Old Covenant, New Covenant. You need the cross, but you need the resurrection. But I want to see if the Lord can shed some light on a number of different aspects that took place that Passover week. Turn with me first to Psalm 24. If you were here last week, and you were in our Exodus study, you will recall that I said I would read the last few verses of the 24th chapter this week. So no, I didn't forget. This is the other part of the story. We read some of it last week related to our study of the book of Exodus. I want to read these verses related to our study today or our time to di- together today as it relates to the Passion Week or the Passover week of the Lord going to the cross and re- rising from the dead. Look at verse... Starting with verse 7, Psalm 24, starting with verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? We just sang a song that this might sound familiar to you. The song we just sang is in this passage. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Keep in mind, the King. Who is he? The gates he shall enter. Go forward now with me. Move over to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Last book of the Old Testament. We're going to work our way. I know none of these pastors say, well, these aren't the, these aren't the resurrection pastors. I know. Well, the Holy Spirit will show you they all come together. Remember, Jesus coming to Jerusalem that day was actually, from all eternity, coming together at a single moment in time. Malachi chapter 4, last book of the Tanakh, what the Jewish folks call the Old Testament, the last book, Malachi chapter 4, starting with verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall arise with healing in his, capital H-I-S, wings. The sun shall rise... With healing in his wings. Malachi 4:2. Now turn forward to the book of Matthew to the very next book. I did this in order on purpose. Matthew, next book. Chapter 21. Matthew 21. We read about this king of glory in Psalm 24. "The Son of righteousness would rise." Matthew 21. Now other passages, um, we'll talk about Bethany because Bethany and Bethpage are uh, right beside each other. But um, Matthew 21, starting with verse 1, now they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, keep in mind, at the Mount of Olives, Bethany and Bethpage are on the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold your king. Back to 20, Psalm 24. Behold your king is coming, but... Look how he's coming, lowly, not mighty in battle here, folks, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, so the disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. And a very great multitude, their clothes on the road, others cut down branches from the trees, spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed out cried out, saying, Hosanna, to the son of David. David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. They're, they're calling him the son of the great king. The son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which in Hebrew, Baruch, Hebab, Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. Who is this? Who is this king of glory? Did You see, the whole city was asking the question. Many Americans don't ask the question. They don't want to ask the question. They don't care about the question. They don't believe Jesus ever existed, or maybe they do believe he existed. He was a good man. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he was this. Maybe he was that. All of Jerusalem, a mighty city in its day, and you're going to see some pictures in just a moment that will claim that the whole city was saying, who is he? Who is he? Just, a few, just prior to this, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for how many days? Four. His body stunk, and Jesus, in Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem, had gone and called him, says, Lazarus, come forth. And many people witnessed it. And the high priest and the priest couldn't stand it, that this guy had proven to be the very power of God. He had raised a man from the dead, but he wasn't done yet, was he? And now everyone in Jerusalem is asking, who is he? Some believe, some don't believe. Same as today. Some believe, some don't believe. So the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee, where he did 80% of his ministry was in Galilee, which is the north part of Israel. Instead of down in Judea or Jerusalem, he didn't spend most of his time down there in Jerusalem. He spent it up around the Sea of Galilee, in the cities there, Decapolis, over to the upper Galilee, down into, all the way down to the border of Samaria. I don't have time to go forward. He actually, shortly after this, will go into the temple. And when you see pictures of the temple in just a minute, he clears out the money changers. Which really bothers the priesthood, doesn't it? No one knows who they're dealing with, but they're dealing with the King of Glory. They're dealing with the Lamb of God. They don't know it quite yet. Turn over. Continue in Matthew chapter 28. Wish we had time to go through the Garden of Gethsemane. Wish we had time to go through the other parts of the week. Middle of the week, he preaches from the mouth of Olives on the end of the world. Did you know the world's going to end someday? Jesus tells us exactly what the times will look like, folks, you're living in them. Every sign that he said we're seeing today. Now, some of those signs have been around for the last 2,000 years. Some of them are unique to our lifetime because Israel didn't become a nation until when? 1948. Everything prior to that, you could not speak of Jesus' end times prophecies because they had not and could not be fulfilled until Israel was again a nation. 1948 changed everything. Now the fig tree's blooming in our lifetime. Strong, too. I've been to Israel. Jerusalem's never been as big population-wise as as it is today, although it was far more glorious in Jesus' day. Does that make sense? It was a more glorious city in Jesus' day, but it's a larger city today. It has a metropolis, just like New York or Chicago and things like that. So Jesus enters this great city, And we find in verse 45 of chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 27, not 28, chapter 27. We'll get to 28. That's the resurrection. Chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. I'm skipping past his mock kangaroo trial in the night. I'm skipping past his false accusations. I'm skipping past him going before Pilate and Herod. I'm skipping past Pilate's wife having a disastrous dream, says do not touch this innocent man. I'm skipping past all those things, right? Him carrying his own cross, beat with a cat of nine tails. I'm skipping past all those things to go straight to the reason Jesus came to the world. Why? For this moment here, to die for your sins and my sins. Everyone here has committed sins, some more than others, but if you've committed one, you need Christ. Amen? And so he comes for this reason. Now, in the Hebrew... Day, the day changes at twilight, 6 o'clock, and the evening starts a new day, right? You go 12 hours to the following 6 a.m., and that's when they count the first hours of daylight, so they would call 6 a.m. hour one. 9 a.m. would be the third hour, right? But from the sixth hour, which is 12 p.m., till the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., right? the time of the day you're getting tired at work, right? 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. You've seen the commercials. That's your really nine-hour energy or whatever it is, uh, uh, five-hour energy or whatever, you know. That's when you're getting tired, right around 12 to 3. That's the 6th to the ninth hours on the Jewish clock. Now, from the 6th hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. This would have been a clue to everyone that something is wrong. When have you seen it midday from noon to three? And this was recorded by other historians as well. You realize that, right? Even if you say, well, I don't believe the Bible. How about other historical text? The other historians, that they verify it got dark, really dark, like middle of the night dark from 12 to three. This would be a clue that you might be killing the Son of God. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama Sabbathinai which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What David prophesied in Psalm 22, 1, Jesus speaks it here. Remember they called him the son of David? He speaks the same words as David. Some of those who stood by when they heard this saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Don't you love the compassion of the people? Man's bleeding to death on the cross. Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. You think I'm preaching loud? He cried out way loud. You would have heard it in the Arab quarter, in the Jewish quarter, which is today's neighborhood. That that wasn't what they were called then. Cries out with a loud voice. Oh, I love verse 51. Highlighted big time in my Bible. Then behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two, and the earthquake and rock split. More clues that somebody divine is on that cross. You realize the temple to be torn in two, it was incredibly thick. It would have taken a team of oxen, three or four oxen on both sides, tied with a rope to rip the veil, and God, hot knife through warm butter, veil rips apart to the Holy of Holies. The rocks begin to shake. The earth begins to quake. Stones start falling. You're thinking if you're there, you think we might die in an earthquake today. And the graves, look at verse 52, and the graves were opened. Now, the graves were not inside the city of Jerusalem. Jewish law law did not allow people to be buried inside the walls. Everyone's buried outside, and you'll see when I show you some pictures. That's still the way it is today. Graves opened, and many bodies of the saints... Only those who had put their faith in God in their life. Some rose from the dead, not all. Some rose at that moment, had fallen asleep and were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. This would be yet another clue (laughs) that something has happened that we never have seen in the history of mankind. Sky gets pitch black. Ground starts to rumble. People get out of their graves and walk into the city this is Grandma. We haven't seen her in 15 years. <laughs> Why are you here? How did you get here? I don't know. The ground rumbled and I woke up. Wow. Coming out of the graves. Look at verse 54. So when the centurion, the Roman centurion, and those who were with him, those of you who think it was just one Roman centurion, it wasn't. Several come to faith in Christ at this moment. Those of you that still are skeptical and say that didn't happen a Roman soldier would grab you and shake you with all his power and say, I was there, buddy. This is what he says. So the centurion those was with him would guard Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, and they feared. These guys were petrified. The ground's shaking. And it's pitch black. People are seeing things that no one's ever seen, and one of them says, truly, this was the Son of God. This might have been one of the very soldiers that took the stakes and drove it into Jesus' hands and feet and now says, I've just killed God's Son. Can you imagine? You have just nailed Jesus to the cross, and now you realize this really is the Son of God. Now, it's not too late. God will still forgive, won't He? Amen to that. Uh, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministered to Him were there looking from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother is Zebedee's son. Now when evening had come, the body had to be taken. Jesus had to die before twilight because this is Passover week, number one, and number two, you couldn't have anyone that wasn't buried before twilight. So Jesus, if he wasn't going to die, they were going to have to break his legs to have him suffocate to death. But remember, he gives up his spirit before they can break any bone in his body as the scriptures foretold, fulfilling the prophecy that not a bone would be broken, although his face would be marred, his skin would be torn, he'd dra- uh, drain every drop of blood, the spear in his side would drain out the water of the body. But he had to be in the grave before, as Jewish tradition, or Jewish law said, not just tradition, law, he must be in the grave before the new day, before twilight or the setting of the sun. So Joseph of Arimathea, another passage tells there, Joseph of Arimathea gains boldness and goes to Pilate. Risking his own life to say, let me take his body. And, uh, and he comes with a, a disciple of Jesus, verse 58. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. We actually know from other passages that uh, him and Nicodemus do this together. They wrap the body of Jesus in a linen cloth. They lay him in a new tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock. A large stone is rolled against the door of the tomb, and they depart. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite. On the next day, verse 62, which followed the day of preparation, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread Day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how this deceiver, (laughs) never mind the darkness for three hours, never mind people coming out of the grave. Never mind Roman soldiers saying truly this was the Son of God. This deceiver, he said, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command the tomb that made secure until the third day. Let the disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Even then, people were already trying to discredit the very Son of God and the miracles they could see with their very own eyes. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Now, they were given anywhere from 4 to 16 Roman soldiers. Most scholars believe it's on the higher end. They were given more in the neighborhood of 12 to 16 soldiers. And by the way, you don't want to approach Roman soldiers because their life is on the line. They'll die if they give up the, what they're guarding. And, and they don't have a... They, well, they have a shoot-first-ask-questions policy to, uh, at that time, Right? So they were given this watch, and so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. It had the seal, the Roman government, verse 66. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 28. That brings us to today. Now after the Sabbath, Sabbath would be our Saturday. They don't have Saturday, they have the seventh day, the seventh day. Now after the Sabbath of the seventh day, as the first day of the week began to dawn our Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, And behold, there was a great earthquake, another earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and then sat on it. Right by the door, there's an angel sitting on the stone. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Look at verse 4. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. I love it. He can stop right there. He's not here. <laughs> Ladies, he's not here. Angel sitting on the stone. Sorry, he's not here. He's risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay and quickly go and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. Why Galilee? That's where he did 80% of his ministry, going back to his own home. He, was, he grew up, Well, of course, he was born in Bethlehem, then lived in Egypt for the first Uh, uh, early childhood years of his life. Then he goes to Nazareth where he grows up. He's why it's called Jesus of Nazareth. Then he later goes to Capernaum where he has the majority of his ministry, which is also part of the Galilee region, kind of like the Chesterfield County, Midlothian versus Chester, right? Goes from Nazareth to Capernaum. 80% of his ministry goes back to the place of his ministry beginnings and his childhood. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and, church, what's our theme for this year? Great joy, and ran and brought his disciples' word. Father, we pray again that your spirit would speak and that we, your people, would hear. If anyone here doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would believe. You said, only believe. Lord, it's believing on you. that changes everything. You'll open our eyes, our ears, and our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just walk you through for a few minutes what took place. <clears throat> a week ago, probably a lot of you, even if you're not a church-going person, you've never studied the Bible, you hear terms that Christian people use, like Palm Sunday. That was a week ago. That was Passover week. Everyone, How many of you know what Passover week is about? All right. Passover week, it had been observed for hundreds of years by who? Jews, not Gentiles, although some Gentiles actually, uh, over the years, had actually decided to convert to Judaism. But Passover was a Jewish feast. What was the Jewish feast about? Well, if you're here on Sundays, we're in the book of Exodus, right? Exodus is where we see the first Passover. What was the Passover? Well the Passover was the children of Israel after 400 years in slavery were finally going to be set free by God himself from bondage, chains. Sound familiar to SIM? They were going to be set free from bondage and chains and slavery by God because the angel of the Lord would come at midnight in the middle of the night. And the darkness of the night, and would strike the firstborn of every house that didn't have what on the door? The blood. The blood. Same as it would look on the cross. Blood at the top, blood on the outstretched arms, where the crown would be, and where the outstretched arms would be, and then it would drop to the floor where the feet would be. There's the cross on the doors. Of course, this would be understood later as opposed to when the Passover... But for hundreds of years, the Jews would celebrate the Passover feast when God passed over all those who had blood on the door, but he condemned and destroyed those that didn't have the blood. Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now, Jesus didn't spend most of his time in Jerusalem. He always came to Jerusalem when? For the high holy days and... A few other times he would be down in the area of Judea, but for the most part, his ministers up in Galilee, but he would come down knowing that he, this Passover, although he went to all the Passovers in his lifetime, uh, in, his, in his adult years, he came this time for the last time because he knew that this Passover season he was going to be the Lamb. Now, not everyone else understood that. Matter of fact, hardly anyone understood that. Even when he tried to tell the disciples this, they didn't understand it, because he said the Son of Man will be betrayed, killed, and he will rise again on the third day, and it went like this, right over their heads. But he comes down, he takes probably down through the Rift Valley, which is the lower part where the Jordan River comes down to the Rift Valley, because we know he goes through Jericho. Jericho is where he actually runs into a guy named Zacchaeus, Right? goes to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus believes on him. But he comes, the ascent from Jericho, you're talking about uh, a minimum of 3,000-foot ascent coming from the low, below sea level, up into the high Judean mountains where Jerusalem sits on top, right? He's coming up, and he comes all the way through, and he comes through a town of Bethany. Why is Bethany important? Well, Bethany is where not much earlier he had raised who from the dead? Lazarus, less than two miles from Jerusalem, and everyone knew about this. This was well-known information. This was hot news. Everyone knew about it. And so he comes through, he comes through Bethany, and then he begins to come on to the Mount of Olives. And it's on the Mount of Olives that he will eventually get on a what? Donkey. Donkey. Well, they'll put the, and and there's a road, it's the road, actually, even part of the road is probably not in the exact same place, but there's a road that runs uh, at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. But there was a road that would run across the Mount, not at the top part, but about the middle of the mountain, uh, around into Bethany. And Jesus would be on that road on the donkey when people start to do what? Throwing their clothes on the ground, throwing their palm branches. Why? Because they wanted Jesus to die on the cross? No, they had no clue he was coming to Jerusalem to die on the cross. They thought if a man can raise someone from the dead, if a man can walk on water, if a man can, oh, touch blind people and make them see, this man can probably be a king that can say to a group of Roman soldiers, die, and it would happen. And as a matter of fact, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus was praying, the, the soldiers come to get Jesus with Judas and to, uh, dis, and to give the, the, the kiss on the cheek. What happens when Jesus stands up and he speaks? What happened to all the soldiers? Boom, they fall down. Malchus' ear is taken off. Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, and actually heals it. That's a pretty good clue that you're dealing with the Son of God. But the people don't still, none of those things make them think they need a savior. They want a king. They want a new king. They don't want to be under Caesar. And they don't even like their religious leaders. And who does like religious leaders, right? When they're hypocritical like they were. Their religious leader, Caiaphas the high priest, Caiaphas the high priest lived in a mansion, huge house, Probably this, it's, it's right up there. It's not as large as Herod's, but it isn't far behind. Caiaphas had a beautiful mansion. The rest of the people didn't live that way. But the priesthood lived that way. And Jesus didn't live that way. He had nowhere to lay his head, even though he owned the world. And so they think all right, we know you can walk on water, we know you healed Lazarus from the dead. Everyone knows it. Hundreds of people witnessed it. Be our king go to Jerusalem, this is the perfect time, go into Jerusalem as the Passover, stand up in the temple and say, I am the new king of Israel, and we'll be behind you. But Jesus would disappoint them because that's not what he was coming to do. Amen? But he will come and do that eventually. We're going to get to that. I've got to move quickly. So this is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. He takes the descent down the Mount of Olives, on the donkey, in through the eastern gate. I'm going to show you all this in just a second. I want you to see it. Uh, If you've been watching the Bible series, hey, I'm glad the Bible series has been on TV. Matter of fact, I've asked numerous people in the last week, hey, have you been watching the Bible series on TV? And they'll say either, yes, I have, or no, but lots of people in my work are talking about it. And even though the Bible series on TV has been woefully inaccurate, it still has caused people to maybe consider, why are more people watching this than American Idol? Than any show in 2013? Any show in 2013? Because the heart knows this stuff just might be true. In fact, it not only might be true, it is true. And you and I that are saved are living proof. I would have never left the sin I used to be in if God didn't call me out of it. Amen? And this is what Jesus came to do in Jerusalem. Not to be their royal king of Judea but to first be their Passover lamb. They had the right idea but they didn't have all the facts straight. They needed the lamb first before they could have the lion. They wanted the lion. See a lion is powerful isn't it? Everyone wants a lion as their king. Who wants a lamb as their king? What country in the history of the world, matter of fact if you like history like I do, Study the ancient, and you'll see tons of... You ever seen the Sphinx? What is it? It's half man and half what? Lion. See the big torso of the lion? You see the Babylonian Empire? Lion. You see the Persians? Lion. You go to London, and you see the, uh, the big... Um, at the front of the museums? Lions. I have not seen anyone put lambs there yet. <laughs> Nobody puts a lamb on their war flag. Not a, a matter of fact, in the NFL, we have the Detroit Lions, but no one chooses the lambs. <laughs> Nobody wants a lamb. And yet God says, the reason why you have Passover is you need a lamb. I'll show you who this King of Glory is once you receive me as the lamb. Back to Psalm 24. Let's take a look at some of these things. Say, well, I've been watching the Bible series. I want to show you some factual things. Not that all of as a matter of fact they've gotten a lot of things right on that series, but they've gotten a lot of things wrong. I want to show you the facts, the truth based on history and based on what the scriptures tell us. What you're looking at here is the Temple Mount. What is the Temple Mount? The Temple Mount is Mount Moriah. How many of you remember where Mount Moriah first shows up in the scriptures? There's this guy named Abraham. He leaves Ur of the Chaldeans. He comes to Canaan. And God says, take your son, your only son. That sound familiar? Your only begotten son. Take your son and lay him down on Mount Moriah. Well, he says the mountain, I'll show you. He ends up taking him to Mount Moriah. That's Mount Moriah, right where the temple is right there. That is Mount Moriah. Long before it was a city called Jerusalem, long before David took it from the Jebusites, it was Mount Moriah to everyone there. And then Isaac is laid down there. And instead of Isaac being killed, A ram or a lamb is found in a thicket, and that becomes the first sacrifice on Mount Moriah. But another lamb has to enter thousands of years later, a couple thousand years later, and that would be Jesus. Now what you're looking at here, you've got the Eastern Gate. It was also called the Golden Gate, the Susa Gate, or the Beautiful Gate. Isn't that a great name? The Beautiful Gate. Gethsemane is right here. This is the Kidron Valley right here. This is the Kidron Valley. This is Gethsemane. There was a bridge built to go over the Kidron Valley. Why was the bridge built? Because the high priest on the Day of Atonement, which is the month of Tishrei in the fall festivals, right? You have the spring feast, and you have the fall feast. In the fall feast, you have Yom Kippur. How many of you have heard that term? Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest, oh, this is really cool, because Jesus fulfills both Yom Yom Kippur and the Passover. See, on Yom Kippur, how many here last week and you saw the royal robes of the high priest? The ephod, the beautiful gemstones on, uh, on the breastplate. Anyone saw that? The hat that says holiness to the Lord in gold. The high priest, only on Yom Kippur, when he would go into the Holy of Holies, guess what the high priest would do on that day? Only on that one day, he took all the royal robes off and put on lowly white garments that were lower than the other priestly garments than even the, the, the underling priest would wear. There was no underling priest, but I'm just trying to make the point. Does that sound familiar? That on that one day, the high priest would take off the royal garments and put on lowly garments. Think about when Jesus, the night of the Lord's Supper, what did he do? He got down and washed the disciples' feet. He took off his royalty and said, I'm going low, but not for long, just long enough to save your souls. He, Jesus would come down the night of his betrayal. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is right over here east of the temple. You have the walkway. Why was the walkway there? Why was the bridge there? Because on Yom Kippur, on Day of Atonement, the high priest, when they were going to burn the ashes of the red heifer... The priest could not burn the ashes inside the temple or inside the city. God said, you must go outside the camp. Where would the Lord die? Outside the camp. Go outside the camp. And the priest couldn't walk in the valley because there was dead bones in there. So he had to walk across over the top so he would touch nothing dead. Jesus went into a tomb where no one had ever laid before. No other dead body had ever been in that tomb. He was the first. The high priest would walk across the Kidron Valley and burn the ashes over here on the Mount of Olives. Fascinating. Jesus fulfills it all. Bethany, where he raised lads from the dead, less than two miles southeast of Jerusalem. Everyone knew this. Everyone knew it. It would be akin to you not knowing the word eucrops in Richmond. <laughs> right? If you're visiting, you have no idea what I just said. If you're visiting this city. But if you've been here any length of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And everyone knew Jesus had raised him from the dead. So much so that the priesthood was trying to kill Lazarus a second time. The scriptures, John tells us that. They were trying to not only kill Jesus, but also kill Lazarus, so no one would know Lazarus was actually raised from the dead. That would be a problem on the day that he dies, because many people come out of the grave. Well, who else do we kill? We can't kill everybody. Everybody this is the city of Jerusalem. Do you notice how the temple complex dwarfs the city? If you ever had in your mind that the temple complex was a cute little building, oh, the temple's the same size as Solomon. The temple's that white on the top, but the the temple could never change. The dimension of the temple had to be the same size. But Herod decided to make Jerusalem a great city. He couldn't change the size of the temple, which is the building In the center there, the beautiful temple where the Holy of Holies would be, the golden candlestick. But what he could do is he could build the mount up, the temple complex up. That's what he did. He wanted it to be one of the great wonders of the world, and in fact, it was. The only reason it's not listed as one of the seven wonders of the world is anti-Semitism as far as I'm concerned. It's the only reason. Say, no one ever said that. It's just my opinion. You to, that's not a fact. It's just what I believe. Because anyone that's ever studied greatness in, in history, this building is of the greatest that man has ever seen. <laughs> Look what it says in the ba- ba- Babylonian Talmud. Whoever has not seen Jerusalem in its splendor has never seen a fine city. It was unbelievable. You think Jesus entered Jerusalem. Many people today think he entered Jerusalem when it was an ugly little city. Uh-uh. When he entered it, it was at the height of its glory. Who is this king of? glory. Let's go. Let's look at another one. By the way, Golgotha, Garden Tomb of the North. That's me standing in front of the East Gate as it is today. See that gate up there? There's a big white arrow pointing to it. You can't miss it. (laughs) That gate is the Eastern Gate today, also called Susa. Beautiful gate. Golden Gate. Notice that it's sealed up. We'll get to that shortly as well. Luke 19, 37, 38. Now, look what I, I didn't read. I told you we'd have time to read from all the passages, but look what Luke has to say. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is east of the city and looks down. See, Jerusalem sits high at about 2,500 feet, but Mount of Olives sits another 100 feet up at about 2,600 feet, right? And the higher you go, and the, and the Temple Mount. Mount Moriah is lower than the Mount of Olives. So you can get to the height of the Mount of Olives and you're looking straight down inside the Temple Mount, right? Jesus descends down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude, remember, they're putting the palm trance. They're all with him descending down the mountain. This is, they think he's going into Jerusalem to be their king. He's going to be their lamb. They still don't know it. They're all excited. He's going to be our king. We'll put him on a donkey. At the same time, Jesus is entering through the east side of the city, not the exact same time, but really close. Guess who's entering from the west gate? Pilate, and he ain't riding a donkey. Pilate enters from the west. Jesus enters from the east. Do you get the picture? You have the false and you have the true. You have the temporary guy who thinks he's got all things under control, and you have the guy who holds it all in his hands. Entering from the east. Why? Because Jesus will descend when he comes the second time. He says, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, Jesus will return from the east for those of us who are born again. Amen? It's going to come from the east. The eastern sky is where he will come down out of heaven the same way he enters Jerusalem. Pilate comes from the other direction, and he's not riding a donkey We don't know if he's riding a horse, but he was either one of two things. He's either on a powerful horse or he's in a chariot. But he's not on a donkey. Rome didn't play that way. You understand that, right? Rome never wanted to look like lambs. Rome was an iron fist. All right, let's go look a little bit more here. This is the Temple Mount looking the other direction. So I gave you one of the renderings of the Temple Mount looking, we looked at it, down from the Mount of Olives at the time of Jesus. Now, if you were standing inside the city, do you guys see this wall right here with the door? That's today's Wailing Wall. That's where the Jews today bow before the Wailing Wall, put the little prayers in the cracks there. That is called the Western Wall. It's the only part of the temple visible that's still original is that piece there. And we got to go under the city. There's another part that you can still see, but you got to go under the city to see it. You see the the corner with the red towers up there at the top? I didn't learn this until I was in Israel, but the cornerstone of the temple, this is really cool, is actually Mount Moriah. It's not laid stone. They cut through the mountain and made the mountain the cornerstone. Mount Moriah is the cornerstone up there on the far corner to the left. That's Robinson's Arch. I've got a picture of where it fell down. That arch was one of the largest arches in all of the Roman Empire in its day. This complex from from ground level to the top of the white marble temple with gold all around it. See how the temple's white? It was made of white marble. Why? Oh, when you were coming from any direction, Herod, it sits 27 stories high from ground level to the top of the temple. So Herod wanted that when anyone would come, if they were if you were people coming from the far east if you were coming north out of europe up from africa or over from the mediterranean that you would see the temple glistening and it would hit the gold and the white sun would hit it i mean the, the white uh, marble would reflect the sun and the gold and it would be glorious sitting high above and what a ma- what a majestic sight that was and so that's what it looked like you had the wealthy homes over here you also had wealthy Wealthy homes in the lower part, which was called the old city, the city of David. The lower part of Jerusalem, we also had a lot of wealth there. And Pilate's his uh, uh, big mansion is actually over in this part of the city. As is Caiaphas. Caiaphas' his large uh, pad is over there as well. But if you're looking back at the temple, you see the Mount of Olives in the distance. Jesus descended down across the bridge. To the left is Mount Scopus. Take a look at the next one here. This is a picture I took. It's, it's, the sun is starting to go down. Remember, the sun will set in the west, so the sun's behind me, setting over the Mediterranean Sea. The sun's behind me. That's Mount Olives. Looks a little different today, doesn't it? Where are all those trees? They've been covered by thousands of tombs. Thousands of tombs. Why? See the Orthodox service down here these are some jewish orthodox folks having a ceremony see jews that believe the bible most jews that believe conservative orthodox for sure not all jews but most jews that believe the bible believe that there is an end of the world coming and there's a resurrection at the end they don't believe in jesus they don't believe in his resurrection they don't believe in the resurrection of the saints they just believe a resurrection at the end of the age make sense they do believe but when the resurrection comes, that people will rise first on the east, which is why all the, tom- all the Jewish tombs are on the east side of the city, if you can afford it. Today it's $50,000 a plot if you can get one. Why? Because they want to be the first to rise. And all they have to pay is nothing to believe in Jesus, and he'll give you that. He already paid it, right? So I'm looking, I'm actually standing at, the, uh, I'm standing at the south end of the temple mount, which the temple mount is there. It's under Muslim control. I'm standing at the south end of the temple. I took this picture back at the Mount of Olives, and this is how the road went across to Bethany where the buses are. It went around the mountain. It's the middle of the mountain to Bethany. Over here is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, probably when he did the Olivet Discourse, goes to the top of the mountain and teaches about the end of the world from there. Looking down at the temple said every, every stone will be unturned. Go to the next one. This is a view of Jerusalem today, which I don't have a helicopter, so I had to take this picture off of Bing, right? So uh, if you have a helicopter, you can take this picture too. This is an aerial view, and I'm looking to the east. Notice the Mount of Olives. It looks like a desert, but that's all tombs. It's all the same Jerusalem limestone. All those are tombs on the Mount of Olives there. Scopus, the eastern gate, which is still there, although they've built gate on top of gate. But remember, this is cool too. The eastern gate is the only gate that from Solomon to today is built on the exact same spot every time. The eastern gate's never been moved. They've only built new gates on top of it. So it's it's actually like a... 12-story gate or something, you know? It's got gates underneath it, but it's the only spot that they will never, ever change the gate location because it corresponded to the original temple. All the other gates, Damascus Gate, Jaffa Gate, Fish Gate, Lion Gate, they're all in different places. Not the Eastern Gate. Same spot. Kidron Valley goes there. Temple Mount is under Muslim control. You can see there's a mosque to the right, and then you have the Dome of the Rock there. Damascus Gate and Golgotha this way, although some believe Golgotha it's over here. That's fine. City of David, where David started the city, is on the south end of, uh, upper, or south end of Jerusalem. Bethany is right over there on the southeastern edge of the Mount of Olives, two-mile walk from Jerusalem. Next one. This is Golgotha. Well, some people believe that Golgotha was to the west, and some people believe Golgotha was to the north. There's evidence for both. I'm not here... I personally believe it was with the north, and I really believe that... Uh, guess, guess who was there also at the, at, at the crucifixion? Satan was there. He was there. He was cheering, and the demonic realm was cheering. They thought they had Jesus dead forever, but they didn't. Uh, today, Golgotha, on top of an Islamic cemetery, to the right is a mosque and a minaret, and on the ground is a bus station. Anything we would want to excavate is completely withheld from touching. Do you know that there's many things we could excavate around the East Gate, but that has a Muslim cemetery on it. Can't touch it. Temple Mount. Uh, So all these things, the temple and the cross location are two very important locations. Nothing can be touched. They're completely covered and under the control. And Islam does not believe in the crucifixion, doesn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, doesn't believe He was equal to God, and it's completely under the grip. The Bible says that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot before the end, and then the tables will turn. The tables started to turn in 1948 when Israel became a nation again. Someday God will reveal all these things, but here's the point. Golgotha, let's take a look at the next one. This is what Golgotha looked like in the 1800s. See how the eyes... Like a skull doesn't have a nose, remember you have no nose bone, you only have cartilage there, and then you see the mouth. That is what the place of the skull likely looked like when Jesus was crucified at ground level with it behind him. And the road to Damascus would go right by, and hundreds of people, remember this is Passover, guess how many people descend on Jerusalem around Passover? Sometimes up to 250,000 people. Walking by, wagging their heads, saying, who is this guy? And what did he do? Uh, he was killed this morning by Pilate because the high priest said he was going to tear down the temple, and he said he was God. Oh, he deserved to die if he said he's God. That's what would have been said as people are walking by, back and forth, going into the city to Damascus Gate, a heavy, heavily trafficked gate on the north side of the city. If he was killed on the west side, it doesn't matter. That's where the church of the Holy Sepulchre is, those of you that are familiar with that. But nevertheless, he went to a place which was called, in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Let's look at the next one. This is the garden tomb where we went. Uh, my wife, Russ, those of us that were um, the other pastors when we were there in the garden tomb. All I can tell you is was so humbling to be in that place. You felt the humbling Uh, Because you knew that you were looking, the garden tomb is directly beside Golgotha. Which, according to the scriptures, it says that there was a tomb adjacent to the cross that they were able... And why was that important? The body had to be buried before the sun went down. There had to be a really close-by tomb to pull this off. Because the sun was already getting low in the sky... They had very little time to get the body down. They put aloe and myrrh all over and spices. They began to wrap the body, and they had to get Jesus into an unused tomb in a garden. Of course, the garden tomb here had a wine press, so we know it was a garden. It was owned by a wealthy man, probably Joseph of Arimathea, and it was right beside Golgotha. See, God had all figured out. When you go in, you will not go in as a king, my son. You'll go in as a lamb. But when you die, I'll have a tomb right beside your death place, ready to go. In you will go. Seal it up with a stone. There's actually a stone track right there underneath. Take a look at the next one. That's Russ posing as an angel. Um, Because I don't have any pictures of angels. I've never seen an angel, nor I presume you haven't either. I didn't get into to wear all white that day. But uh, nevertheless, that's Russ, not an angel although he's quite angelic. If you see him hike in the mountains, I'd he was an ibex, but that's an animal over there that has great great climbing skills. But uh, the stone was rolled away, but the stone would have been somewhere in the proximity to the right or the left, and sitting on the stone is an angel shining like lightning. Amazing, huh? By the way, this tomb, what makes it unique as well is that the orientation inside the tomb is completely opposite all the other tombs. Why was that important? Because when they came in, Jesus, it tells us the dimensions of where the to- how it was structured and the way Jesus, the, the weeping chamber versus the burial side was opposite all the other tombs, but in line with what the scriptures said. Amazing, huh? It, it, it alleviates many other tombs in the area because the other tombs are opposite of what the scriptures tell us, but not this tomb. It matches exactly... Uh, what the scriptures tell us i want to close though with a final picture oh actually i've got a couple more i'll I'll close in just a second i read in psalm 24 about who is this king of glory if you remember what we read back in psalm 24 it says lift up you everlasting gates remember when we read that right back at the beginning The East Gate is mentioned a number of places in the Bible in the Old Testament. The the message that I want to preach today is the empty tomb in 2013. We're in 2013. 2,000 years plus have passed. What takes place next? Jesus entered Jerusalem as the Lamb. But when he rose from the dead, he rose as the King of glory. Amen? He's not ever, ever, ever laying down his life on the cross ever again. He did that one time. I asked him to be my Lord and Savior once. Well, actually, I had said it before, but I didn't mean it in my heart. So the Bible says you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. I had never truly repented, but I repented once in 1995 and his death and resurrection once. He will never die again. People can curse his name, use his name as a swear word, do whatever they want, but he will never, ever go to the cross again. He came to do that once, through the east gate, out of the city, died outside the camp just like the red heifer's ashes, but he rose on the third day. Not only did he rise on the third day, he rose on the 17th of Nisan. Say, so say, what's that mean? It's the first day of the week. His body rested fully on the Sabbath day, not just any Sabbath, a high Sabbath, because Friday was the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was also a special Sabbath. Then you had Saturday, which was the high Sabbath. His body rested for the full 24 hours of the high Sabbath. He rises early in the morning as the sun was rising with healing in his wings. Malachi chapter 4. He rises early in the morning as the sun is rising. He rises with the dawn. He's the day spring, isn't he? Right? He rises and it's on the feast of first fruits. Why is that important? Well, Paul would later write uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul said, Look, he was the first fruit of the first fruit feast. When he rose, Nisan 17. The gates had been sealed up. All the gates of the east, all the gates were kept open, but not the east gate. The east gate was sealed up in 1530 by Muslim conquerors of the Ottoman Turks. Why did they seal up the east gate? Well, they had heard there was a prophecy that the king of Israel would someday enter through the east gate. What no one told them is Isaiah prophesied that the east gate must be sealed first. Thank you for filling the prophecy. (laughs) They sealed it up to keep Jesus. He'd already come through the gate. But they knew that he was supposed to come a second time through the gate, so they sealed it, fulfilling Ezekiel 44, that the gate must be sealed. Why? Because the Lord had already entered into the gate. This is his special gate. In the millennium, he's the only one allowed in the gate. No, you and I, even though we're born again, do not get to enter the east gate. That's Jesus' gate. He's called the beautiful one. The golden gate belongs to him. He entered it once, but he's coming back a second time, and he's going to come the same direction, folks. But the next time he comes, he's going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split in two. Same mount, same gate, same direction, different coming, empty tomb. He comes up as the king of glory. Amen? You might say, wow, those are really coincidental. How how do there so many coincidences there? Because they're not coincidences, folks. This is what God has ordained from the beginning. Now, this is the final picture I want to close. You can't see it. Uh, in the back there, but I could show you. It's, it, it, it really struck me. I didn't plan on putting this picture in. But we, we, we finished in the garden tomb with a communion service, a Lord's Supper service, and it was really beautiful. And I didn't recognize until yesterday I was looking through my pictures, and this picture jumped off the page to me. You'll see the cup and the bread. You see how they interconnect See the, bread and the, see, the rim of the cup actually lays over top of the bread. I just placed it down on the paper on that particular day on February 13th. You can see my notes in my Bible there. I placed it down not knowing. I just placed it on the page. Yesterday, it just jumped off the page to me. See how narrow the path gets into the cup? See how broad it is here? Satan's name is in the broad spot. But it gets, the light gets incredibly narrow. Jesus said, enter by the narrow way. For broad, where Satan is, is the way to destruction. And many there are that go that way. Now, I'm not telling you. I'm just showing you that this illustrates exactly what Jesus said. I'm in the garden tomb. I snap the photo. I don't see it until yesterday, which is the Sabbath day of rest. While he's in the grave, I'm looking at my pictures, and it jumps off the page. I'm like... Lord, you're showing me a picture of the narrow way. See how bright the light is at the narrow end? It gets dark where Satan is on the broad road. Most Americans on the broad road to destruction. Satan's out there giving them anything they want. How about career? How about a new spouse? How about drugs? How about alcohol? How about success? How about money? How about an unemployment check that will last forever? How about, you know, whatever it is that will make you stay away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate through my body, my blood, and the resurrection. Amen? Let's close in prayer as the worship team comes back up. I have tried to show in one hour what God had been writing for thousands of years in the scriptures. That's hard to do. But I believe that God has shown all of us, more than enough, not only this morning, but all throughout our life, that he is true, that he is trustworthy, and we are the opposite. Amen? We're not true. We lie, don't we? We deceive ourselves. The high priest and the priesthood, they knew Lazarus had raised from the dead. How did they know it? They were going to kill him a second time. They knew he was risen from the dead. They knew Jesus' miracles were verified. They saw the signs of the darkness in the sky. They saw the ground rumble. They saw people come out of the graves. They saw it all, and they still called who the deceiver? Jesus. But who was the deceiver's? They were. They would even bribe the same Roman soldiers to lie. Liars were calling the Son of God a liar. And such as it is with us. Amen? Because as long as we resist what God says, God commands men and women and children to repent. Commands it. But He doesn't force you to repent. He just commands it. If you don't repent, you can live the rest of your life and perhaps you have another 20 years. Perhaps you have 20 more days. Only the Lord knows. I tell people all the time, I've had two sisters die, one at the age of 21, one at the age of 37. They didn't live to be 44 like I have. I am not guaranteed tomorrow, nor are you. Amen? No one knows. No one knows when their final day will be. But Jesus says, look, believe it. he who believeth upon me shall not die, but have everlasting life. And as we just close, if you say, man, I didn't know this stuff, but I know it's true. Or I did know it, and I've refused to repent and give my life to Christ. Why would you not say, Jesus says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden and headed to the broad road of destruction, which is hell. Everyone's going to live forever. There was two thieves that died on either side of Jesus. One believed in Jesus. One said thanks, but no thanks. Do you know what Jesus said to the one that said, I believe in you? Some of those beautiful words in all the scripture. Jesus is standing there. He's, he's on the cross. He has to lift up to breathe because you would suffocate if you don't push up. Using every ounce of strength left in his body, he turns his head to the other thief and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That should make the hair on the back of your head stand up. This guy had never done a single worthwhile thing as best we know. I mean, I'm sure he did some good deeds here and there, but he was a common criminal. He spent most of his life robbing and hurting people, and Jesus said, "Because you believe on me, I'll save you." By the way, if he would have lived again, he would have lived a totally different life the rest of his life. Amen. He wouldn't have kept, he wouldn't have kept committing crimes. But he did have to die that day for his crime. He goes to heaven with Jesus. The other one who mocks Jesus goes to hell forever and ever. Neither one of them had to go to hell. When I still had my career, I've told you many times, one of my coworkers would always say to me on Monday morning, did you send anyone to hell this weekend? And I would always tell him, I can't send anyone to hell. They're already going there. But I can tell them where to go to not go there. Go to Jesus, amen? The narrow road. As we bow our heads, if the Lord has spoken, you say, Lord, I want to be saved. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Just come and stand before this altar. Jesus died publicly. I just want you to come and just stand right here.